0: My name is Noah. Hello, Noah. We've got a big show for everybody today. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, Dustin Kirkland from Canonical joins us to tell us all about their new live patching service. and. How it differentiates from the other big players that have already announced their live patching service and have been around for a little while now. And then in the main segment of the show, we'll define what the heck a CRM is, why you would need it, and if open source actually even has a solution here. Turns out Noah, his day job is running his IT company, and he's been kicking the tires on a few different projects, and he'll give us his input there. Yeah, we're also going to talk a little DDoS and some other big news stories. We've got great feedback, tons of things to cover there. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we've got? Picks. We've got the – you got it. Good job, it. Noah. That's because you set
1: it up. See, so you set it up and then
0: yeah. I responded. And yeah. That's, that's group going. This one – now, this one comes in from quote-unquote anonymous and uh, I can understand why <laughs> once I started looking. I'm, in fact, I should scroll down because – oh, no. Well, imager, you may be giving away our anonymous, yeah, yeah, imager's a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyways, Anonymous has sent in these photos that would seem to indicate that CVS runs Linux, at least the pharmacy section here. And mm-hmm. uh, here's what leads us to believe this, is if you start digging through the photos that were sent into the show, I'm not sure what's going on there here we go if you start Get looking the at these photos the road, Noah, this is the right. internet it's new and yeah. uh you there look, you look at the back the door opens up and that looks like a zotac linux pc right there dvi coming he's out got, to to. to, to he uh, got
1: the Ubuntu screenshot at the the lower one too which really tells hey you man i'm linux. building up oh i'm sorry i'm sorry this is
0: this is. I was building. See, I was building the narrative as I was building. So was it looking, might not be Ubuntu.
1: It's a Zotac box. So with a lot of cables.
0: Before in it. we get there, the way this thing's drive, it's got a DVI connection to which looks like a, like an LCD screen with a USB plug coming out the back of it, plugged into the Zotac, Ooh. and it's got a wireless antennas on it too, Ethernet as well. So it's, I don't know if it's using those wireless antennas, but it's got them. And, and a
1: uh, pink Cat five cable.
0: Yeah, that's a nice one. That's that's. I would not choose pink. I don't know. I think it stands out. It's got the sound hooked up to it, too. And then, yeah, we scroll down right there. And there it is. A nice Ubuntu screenshot running Unity at that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to grok. I'm looking at those processes um, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at this evolution calendar, deja dupe, all that stuff doesn't need to be running. You don't really even need comp is running on a, on a pharmacy no. vending machine no, display. Really
1: it's, it's what it's scanning the barcode. And then it's probably that all is all the software is actually running inside of the web browser.
0: You can see here that the uh, user account that it runs under is a kiosk and, uh, cats running in the background, taking a hundred K of Ram, <laughs> whatever's going on there. I don't know. But this pretty's – got Firefox installed, Banff daemon installed. Uh yeah. That's that's pretty good. Oh, and look at this. He even managed to find uh the source code of the kiosk app, which looks like it's a bunch of JavaScript. Oh jeez. What? <laughs> good thing we're putting this
1: out on the street. You want me to end it right here? You want me to stop no, right no, no, here? No, I just said <laughs> you saying like <laughs> like I'm sure that's exactly what they want—is all their internal URLs exposed to 300,000 people. <laughs> but no, it's uh, Intel Adam <laughs> Intel Atom on an embedded computer, and uh, they've got how big? How much RAM does it say?
0: 3.9 gigabytes, uh, my gigs. friend. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. No, 3.9. So, yeah, Don't get is, it
1: wrong. <laughs> yeah. So this looks like some. This looks like something you know very similar to what, to what we would install for for a for a kiosk and, 1404 is though an, is that what i see it's, graphics yeah GeForce it's got G- a
0: geforce well probably to run that that screen a geforce oh, gt 610 though so don't get too excited and an well, intel yeah. atom uh, uh, 1.8 gigahertz
1: but the fact that it fits in that tiny little box that's pretty cool
0: yeah it, it is it uh, look at oh my gosh and he was able to get out to the internet by using the built-in firefox browser he
1: was look at him browsing reddit He's, I think if you scroll up, do you see where it says uh, – Do you see inside of the web browser, see how he has two tabs open and one is welcome to CVS? So I feel like, I feel like they, yeah. that is actually where the software is running. It just sure. runs like full screen. Yeah, because it's just
0: JavaScript, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. just running in, a, it's running in a tab in Firefox and he was able to open up a new tab once he hooked up a USB keyboard and goes to Reddit for all the karma. Then launches Solitaire.
1: <laughs> <laughs> On this machine, he launched Solitaire. God, I just – I feel like I would not have this much time to – uh I don't know. I just – I feel like I would not be screwing around with that machine that long. I guess it's a public kiosk. Like, they what are they going to say? Yeah, They're and like, you know – I was just trying to figure out how to get my prescription filled.
0: Actually, I don't – I think uh – uh there is a certain there is a certain element to raising awareness about this kind of stuff, too. I think there is sure. something to that. And and also there's something to pulling behind the pulling back the curtain and realizing that this is really just an, a combination of JavaScript, a Firefox web mm-hmm. browser and an Ubuntu Atom box back there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, that's that. And it's connected to the Internet. and That's legitimately the world we live in now. And I wonder what the update frequency is on uh, on that
1: particular what but lts think? every five years <laughs> yeah
0: yeah you think they're installing all the lts updates though let me see. no no i <laughs> think once every five years they probably update to the next version
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: maybe actually you know what to give them credit the about box yeah. look at that no it says systems up to date it's actually no, they are keeping yeah. it up to date hey you know Good what dude if you're just running it in a web browser if you're just doing javascript eh, who cares mm-hmm. right who cares
1: Exactly. exactly
0: I'd say that's updated with well, Firefox isn't going to break. It's fine. It's fine. And I wonder if that means uh, I wonder if they run all of that uh, pharmacy uh, display stuff from a central CVS web server. It's
1: probably not running locally no, on maybe. that
0: box. Right. He didn't show us yeah. that. But
1: yeah. Yeah. Huh. No, it wouldn't be local because they wouldn't want to have to update 10,000. Bo- they wouldn't want to say like we're going to we need to change the price or this or that or we're changing a new you know color scheme or whatever. They don't want to update 10,000 bucks. You know what they I would, would do? Say-
0: no, if I was CVS. I'd host it on DigitalOcean. Run
1: Digital it
0: DigitalOcean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code. Here's the thing. All one word. Put it together like your Slurnicko. Set up your account, and then you apply it to your balance, and DigitalOcean gives you a $10 credit, and you can run a $5 rig for two months for free. That's their base rig with 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD. They're all SSDs. A terabyte of transfer and a dedicated CPU. $5 a month's pretty great. You could get really a lot of nice things running on Linux. But if you go to DigitalOcean, I encourage you to check out the way their pricing structure works because this is cooking with gas. You do this hourly thing. Three cents an hour gets you two gigs of RAM, a two core processor, 40 gigabyte SSD, and three terabytes of transfer. The latest version of Ubuntu comes out, the latest version of when Fedora 25 ships and they get their images update. When there's a new version of FreeBSD, they just got the latest when when it released. They got FreeBSD on there. You know, I, I think this is a great way to play with these systems in a really performant environment. You really get to you really get to experience packages installing at incredible rates, things building at an in, in intense, great speed, everything being out on the Internet so you don't have to worry about reconfiguring your firewall. You don't have to install a bunch of junk dependencies on your system. You just get something set up on DigitalOcean and you get going. And they have entire application stacks you can deploy. Or you can build a system like Noah likes to do from the ground up. I kind of – I strike the difference. So one of the things I often will do is I will check for a DigitalOcean tutorial for anything I'm going to do. We're going to talk about the uh, Cal Linux vulnerability here in just a couple of minutes. And they already have – it. they posted it two days ago. How to protect your server against the dirty Cal Linux vulnerability. How to create an intranet with OpenVPN on Ubuntu 16.04 or installing MongoDB on CentOS 7. Lots of really nice tutorials. So you can build it yourself or you can take advantage of one of their application stacks, deploy it, and then use these tutorials to go even further. This is my approach. This is what I like to do is I like to experiment using digital Lotion Drop. I go deploy the open source thing that I'm going to do. I go install maybe an entire ready-to-go stack Something that's really simple, and I validate that it's okay, the product's worth my time. This is worth my energy and my time. And then if it's really something I'm serious about, I will go back, sometimes following the tutorial, sometimes following a wiki post somewhere else, and I will reset it up on a system that I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep long-term, and when you think about it in that context of the ability to experiment and then deploy in production, the pricing is nuts, and they got data centers all over the world in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, India. They have such a great interface to manage all of it and a really nice API. The interface you're seeing on the screen right now is not fake. That's That's what their actual UI looks like, and you can deploy to multiple data centers, set up. Multiple droplets, you can import your SSH keys, manage your DNS, set up private networking, set up snapshots and backups, templates, transfer machines, droplets to other accounts, set up team accounts. There's so much you can do from this great interface with their great straightforward API. And you can get started with all of it by using our promo code. Here's the thing. All one word over DigitalOcean. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Just apply here's the thing to your account, and you'll get the $10 credit. Sometimes we have an app pick on the show where when uh, Noah and I get connected for the morning, I'll say to him, dude, there's no way we haven't picked this app before. And then usually usually that results in us looking around and searching, but you've already double-checked. And, and my goodness, if we've this is one that literally I use every single day on all of my computer's For years now, years and years now, and if we've never mentioned this on the show, we have got to fix that wrong right now. It's F.Lux.
1: And uh, so basically, if you're not familiar with F.Lux, basically what it does is they've done scientific studies and they found that the – color temperature of the your computer monitor very closely it resembles 5500K, which is the about the color temperature that you'd get outdoors in front of the sun. So during the day, between the hours of, you know, let's say noon and 4 p.m., uh, that makes a lot of sense. So when you're staring at your computer monitor, your body's natural circadian rhythm says it's it's daytime <clears throat> it's time to be awake it's time to be productive the problem becomes when you get home at night and you want to sit down at your computer or me i get a 2 a.m service call and i oh, I stumble uh, off my bed over to my computer <sighs> and I, oh, I gotta i gotta log into this ssh and i i hit the button to wake the computer up and exactly <clears throat> all of a sudden this bright 5500k light is hitting me and and my my eyes are telling me it's daytime and the rest of my body is like it's two in the morning i want to sleep yeah f.lux fixes that basically it allows you to after a specific time adjust the color temperature of your display so that it more it, it, your body te- your body circadian rhythm it is being told from all sides including sight hey it's nighttime it's time for bed and i noticed the very first night i did this i have a computer in my bedroom it's on my desk and i installed it on there the uh, one night And i knew that chris had had this i just didn't realize uh the the extent to which it was available and so I, I i installed it pretty easy install and then i sat down that night to use my computer i'm like and i'm i'm like i'm like relaxed and sleepy now just just from using the computer that way and i thought that's it. Now it's going on every computer. So every computer I own now has f dot installed on it. Wow. So I I've sort of transitioned from f dot lux, which I still like a
0: lot. Um, mm-hmm. and if there's any like if there's a Mac in the studio or something, I'll have f dot on this sideway. all the screens match because the if you ever have one screen that doesn't do this temperature shift, oh, sure. it stands out. Yeah, um, which is why I'm really glad you can get this on the phone now uh, what I have been sort of what I found to be more bulletproof for me on anything that's not Ubuntu because F.lux always seems to work great for me on Ubuntu mm-hmm. um, and I can get X F flux or whatever it's called I can get that working on pretty much any Linux and if you go to their uh, to their download page and uh, you look a little bit further down they have F or I'm sorry X flux. This is mm-hmm. just a command line, and uh, again, no, no surprise. I drop down my Gwake terminal, and uh, I have a dedicated tab for Xflux. I hit up there once. Of course, you have once. a
1: dedicated tab on your drop down Gwake terminal for yeah. Xflux. Yeah, of and, course you do. And
0: it's like really simple. It's like Xflux dash Z, and then your zip code, and uh, it automatically looks up your location of your of where your zip code's at figures out what the what where the sun is at and sets the temperature so it's really easy that's and so if you can't get f.lux working check out xflux or consider and I know everybody that's probably watching, screaming this at the screen right now, consider Redshift. Redshift does everything that Noah just said about Flux. everything we love about it, uh, but it is completely open source. So you can get it in oh, your – and it's probably already in ready. your repo. It's, probably, it's, it's, it's in ah. most repos. And there is a GNOME Shell extension that I use – surprise! – on some of my machines that integrates Redshift toggle into my user menu. So say if I want to override it, which I sometimes do if I'm looking at photos or I'm video editing, I don't want to have the color wrong, and I want to temporarily disable it. So it's really nice in GNOME 3 to have a checkbox. It just Turn it Ep- off.
1: Ep- flux does allow you to – there's a little icon yeah. that runs in the, yeah. the app bar and you can just hit pause
0: and then – Or if you have it in your dedicated drop-down tab, uh, you just control C obviously and uh, you're fine But or tell it to kill or something. But I have actually switched over to Redshift and Redshift uh, will put a little uh, icon like in your status bar. I Every now and then, Redshift has broke on, broken on me. But for the most part, it, it just uh, – if you're on GNOME 3, one other thing is – It might not work by default unless you have location services enabled in GNOME 3, which I believe are disabled by default. So that's something to consider. You may have to turn on location services uh, in GNOME. And there's other projects out there that actually do this for uh, other desktops as well. And and Redshift does work on KDE, and there are... uh, Plasma desktop equivalents that talk to Redshift. So those are all – those – F-Lux is sort of like the well-known one. F-Lux is also the one that's most common on, I believe, on Mac and Windows. I don't know for sure, but I I gather that it is. And Mm -hmm. uh, Redshift is probably well-known in the community. So check out those tools for something that I really think does help. And you can get Redshift or something like it for your phone too. And Mm -hmm. so that way if you have to turn on your phone in the middle of the night, it it really makes a big difference, and I my lady saw mine. I have it on mine, right? And so she's like, "Wow, that that
1: really is a lot nicer." And she went and got it turned on on hers too because she noticed a big difference. It makes a difference, and it sounds it sounds uh, nitpicky until you actually do it, and then you're like, "Well, that did make a big difference." Yeah, and I actually think it's possible. I've never tried it, but on my Android
0: TV that I have at mm-hmm. the uh, at the rig, mm-hmm. I have a Redshift, or I can't remember. I can't remember if it's Redshift. I have a. Uh, a nighttime colorizer mm-hmm. that I think actually does it for the T V too. Using hmm. an Android TV. So if you really if you really want to go all in I although mean, that seems like a bad idea on the TV, but if you really wanna go all in, you can actually get it on Android TV too, which is which seems crazy. No, I, you know, this weekend I really wanted to show you something via my terminal. I did something. I banged it all out. It was super cool. A nice FFM peg command. And I thought, man, Noah would love this. Can you think sure, of anything yeah. that would facilitate sharing of a terminal session? Maybe something I could watch a little faster because you type slow, etc.
1: Actually, I can't. But uh, Rakai can. So Rakai this week sent in our show Spotlight. And that is, I'm going to try and pronounce this, Showterm Her- Heroku app. Oh, it's a Heroku show, app. Show term, so show term app. is the app
0: and it runs on Heroku.
1: Yeah, okay. There you go. So, but basically, what it is, is it is a live text terminal. So you can you can do screencasts of your terminal. But the, the catch is that the screencast is presented in text. So the viewer at any time can oh, copy text. Oh, I can out copy pasta it.
0: Yeah, that is exactly. nice.
1: Exactly. And you can copy that text right out of there, copy it into your own terminal so you could follow along. So definitely could be a and kind you can- of cool.
0: Oh, sorry. To, sorry, but did you mention you
1: can no. speed it up too? Yeah. So the 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 rate at which it comes out yeah. uh, can be, can be sped did. up or slowed down. Yeah. I think this would be kind of a cool thing to use for a show episode next time we have a, a you know like a, a how to where there's going to be a lot of commands. Having this publishing this video, making that available yeah. um, to the audience, so they can just say, "Oh, yeah. right, just copy." Right now, what we have to do is we have to have the video, and then we put all of the commands in the show notes so that people have a place they can copy and paste commands out of.
0: This would so kind of do both. couple other things that are neat about this. So if you want to use uh, the app that's running on their Heroku's instance, um, they'll let you link directly to terminal show terms. So you could have – like I could send you a link that you could watch on your own later. Mm -hmm. Um, In your browser session, you can also embed them as an iframe, which that could be especially cool in the show notes. If you can embed it as an iframe, that would be really Mm -hmm. nice. The one thing I was wondering about, though, and I was just looking at their – I was trying to see if they say anything here, is it just looks like it's a start and stop recording. And, you know, because you know you're going to typo a few times. It would be nice not to have all your typos (laughs) recorded. (laughs) So that would be one thing. And maybe there is a way to pause it. I just don't see it here. Uh, It's by the – it's uh, like Noah was saying, Com.
1: I I don't think there's a way to pause it just based on the way that as soon as you stop the recording, it it, it, – Generates the link. What you could do, you could script everything ahead of time and then just run your script. And then obviously when the show term goes out, it would obviously – you could slow it down or speed it up. Because speed is controlled at the end, not at the – Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it looks like it's using uh, a couple of cool technologies, Term.js um, which is an awesome ttyjs script, uh, script, the long-forgotten Unix tool for recording terminal sessions, uh, tt record, which is an upgrade to script, and then uh, there is a bug. Mo- there is a tool for monitoring and hosting by a bugsnag. So it's kind of a cool combination of stuff. Showterm, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Before we get out of the spotlight altogether, I kind of have like a double spotlight. And I okay. wanted to uh, just uh, share a little love with the OpenStreetMap project. I, if you're anybody who considers ever degoogleifying your life, I would encourage you not to underestimate the importance of maps. Not only that, but the ability to take something that's OpenStreetMap com- uh, data, all from all over the world, where maybe some companies and some private companies don't really have an interest in investing to places like my podunk town, where only people that are locals really care about these little, little, uh, little, you know, tiny little nuances. I think this is a super important project. Uh, OpenStreetMap is doing a funding drive for 2016, and they're about halfway there. Uh, and they don't have crazy ambitions either. So I feel like I feel like it's probably just worth a mention if you would like to help them out. And uh, it is uh, donate.openstreetmap.org, and I'll have a link in the show notes. And I just – I think the OpenStreetMap Foundation is a super cool uh, organization. Don't have any other affiliation with them other than I did use some of the OpenStreetMap data while I was on the road from time to time and i found a few things to be more accurate on it and i just i love the idea of not relying on apple or google or mm-hmm. nokia or Navtech or whoever to supply our maps and i like the idea that more open source software could be built with great accurate maps that exactly uh, the foundations behind so we'll have the link to that in the show notes or go to donate.openstreetmap.org if you'd like to help them out but noah let's do the news the news in
1: this episode is brought to you by
0: ting.com hey go to last.ting.com to support the show and get yourself a discount ting is mobile that makes sense so instead of being a crazy duopoly that tries to squeeze you for every single penny what they've done is they've rebuilt wireless in a way that is fundamentally simpler to understand you just pay for what you use they take your minutes your messages and your megabytes they add them up whatever you use that's what you pay each line, $6. You want 3 lines, you pay $6 for each line. There's no contract, there's no early termination fee. The devices are unlocked, you own them. It's all easy peasy. And If you go to last.ting.com, you can click on that how much would you save button. Punch in your numbers. Punch your numbers in and see if Ting would work great for you. Average line, 23 bucks a month. That's for uh, you know, for me, I've got 3 smartphones on my Ting account. It's usually under 40 bucks, it's really nice. You got some Wi-Fi at work or at home, it's a it's no-brainer. And if you ever need to use customer service, they've got great customer service. They have CDMA and GSM services, which means even more devices you can bring. And if you bring a device and you go to last.ting.com, they get a $25 service credit. Remember I mentioned that the average monthly bill is $23? bucks; it will pay for more than your first month. And they've got great tools for your device or in the web. All of that. And if you're going to go, even if you're not ready to switch to Ting yet, they have a great blog, last.ting.com. Then click on the blog. This is something that's kind of interesting for me. I've got Sling TV, and I've noticed that uh, PlayStation View seems to be getting some attention. This is a great way for those of us who have cut the cord, but every now and then want to tune into some live television, especially when big news events like elections are coming up. They've done a rundown of Sling TV and the PS View and which hardware devices support it and which ones don't. It's a really nice one, including other options to consider, DVRs, all that kind of stuff. So start by going to last.ting.com. And then if you're a cord cutter or you're considering it, check out their blog, too. Tons of great tips there. And the other thing, too, I, I don't know if, I've, I, if I haven't mentioned it for a couple of weeks, but Ting's prices on data are, have gotten even better. This is absolutely outrageous. And if you go to ting.com or last.ting.com, you can find out more.
2: Look Like this. Need more? It's just $10 a gig. That's what new customers pay. That's what current customers pay. It's simple. We like simple. See for yourself at ting.com slash rates. You
0: know what, Noah? Actually, that's one thing to say, too, as a longtime Ting customer. I really like when they've rolled out improvements to the service, like dropping the data rate. It's, mm-hmm. I didn't have to like call up and get a new contract or get a new agreement or get a new plan. I just inherited these new benefits as a customer.
1: Whether just, or not you were even paying attention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: which is really nice because all of a sudden things just get cheaper. Alright, well <laughs> uh, let's talk about the news. This is a big story this week. Canonical has announced their live patch service which is one part technology in your kernel, one part their live service that you have to create an account, in some cases pay for, and all parts necessary. A live patch is is in a sense, the ability to install updates into a running Linux. Kernel. Now, if you've heard about the big Internet of Things DDoS attack this week, or any of the kind of situations where you know the system has to remain in production, maybe it's a Netflix system, maybe it's your email server. The range is huge. There's so many Linux systems in production today that have to remain online, so people fail to patch them. So vendors have been rolling out live patch services for a while now. Red Hat and SuSE rolled theirs out earlier in the year, and we covered those. And now, last to the party is Canonical. But I think they might have the most interesting take. And so Dustin Kirkland stopped by on his way home from the airport to tell us about it. Dustin is joining us right now on his way home from the airport. And it, really, if, if, the, if the announcement wasn't this big of a deal, it wouldn't be worth all of the trouble. But let's be honest. This is a huge story so dustin first of all thanks for making the time to come on the linux action show even though you're on the way home from the airport right now welcome to the show (laughs) of course (laughs) yeah so um let's talk about the big news uh this is something that i don't know maybe canonical isn't necessarily the first to do a live kernel patch but this is done a little differently so what is live patch and why would i want to live patch my system
2: we're certainly not the first, and I don't think we're we're, we're claiming to be the first. Um, but uh, we're we're taking advantage of a new feature in the Linux kernel. It showed up in about four point one um, Ubuntu sixteen oh four, which we released back in April, ships with Ubuntu uh, with Linux four point four, which is it's really the first of any of the enterprise Linux distributions to ship with a four anything kernel. Um, and so it's, it's really the, the first opportunity there is to live patch a kernel using purely upstream uh, functionality. Okay. Uh, as I said, we're not the first. You've got Ksplice from, from Oracle. You've got Kpatch from Red Hat and KGraft from SUSE. Uh, but all three of those are using out-of-tree technology. What we're using is the, the pure live patch functionality that's in the Linux upstream kernel.
0: Now, that seems to be the big differentiator here. Not only that, uh, but there's a couple other things that I think are, are pretty special, and I want to I get to them for a moment. But um, let's let's take a moment and talk about this, because it seems like what Canonical is going to reap are the benefits of other companies working on the upstream stuff. So, for example, isn't IBM working on some architectures that aren't yet supported by this upstream uh, live patching but will soon be, and you guys will just reap those benefits?
2: Yeah, well I mean we work with the IBM team, but it's largely IBM's kernel developers who maintain the system three ninety X, the you know, IBM mainframe uh, port, as well as the Power Eight, Power Architecture port. Um, you know, and I just I wanna make it clear there's two pieces to two very important pieces to to Live Patch. The first piece is uh, the ever important plumbing that has to be in the Linux kernel that allows you to load, dynamically load a kernel module that modifies running code. That's so the that's first how it piece, works. and that's the pain. Yeah, that's the piece that we're 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 leaning on the up- upstream community to, uh, to, to that that has gone in uh, to the kernel. Um, the second piece is the stream of patches. So uh, that piece has been there for months and months, and you know very few people said anything about it. We certainly didn't make any noise about it. We've been working on this in the background, um, but without an actual live patch to apply, uh, it's just. I mean, it's just stub code is dead code. And sure. um, so the announcement this week is that we've created a stream of live patches. So our kernel team, we've got uh, people on the ground working on this when when a CVE, a kernel vulnerability, security vulnerability is released. Um, our team looks at it and uh, triages it and determines its, its severity. For the high and critical ones that snaps into action, our kernel team that starts working on a Making that live that that patch that fixed to that vulnerability into a live patch, um, and they do that in parallel. There's another part of the team that takes that patch, applies it to the Ubuntu kernel, and builds and tests and QAs and releases okay. a full kernel as we always have. Yeah, you know, 12 years so, By the way, today is the 12th birthday of uh, of Ubuntu. Maybe we should. Uh, Happy birthday, should Ubuntu! Yeah, thanks. Right, yeah, hog released 2004 uh, wow. today. Wow. Um. But yeah, we've been releasing kernels, updated kernels with bug fixes and security uh, fixes for for years, and we will continue to do that. Those will roll up all of the the changes and fixes that go in. Um, but with the live patches, it's a very specially crafted dynamic kernel module a .ko that that changes running code. There are some limitations to what it can do, but it's pretty amazing uh, what it can do. Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I'm on my way home from the airport, and while uh, while in flight at forty-five thousand feet, I patched my kernel on my on my on my laptop uh, <laughs> over an airplane Wi-Fi connection and erased a really nasty uh, vulnerability. Uh, okay. A local user yeah. uh, I mean, just Amazing. to be just those, those- to be
0: clear here, we're to, we're, to, we're not we're not talking about replacing the traditional patch methodology, but what we are what we are actually talking about is the ability to patch your running kernel in production. And solve a potential real security issue that's in in the wild. And this is this is a this is an obvious Without thing that uh, the enterprise needs.
2: Without a reboot, that's the killer bit, right? Yes. You don't have to reboot to, to patch that. Um, you know, we're not selling this as a. I'm 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 gonna be clear. We're not selling this as never reboot again, uh, but rather it's reboot when it's convenient, right? It wasn't convenient for me to reboot my laptop uh, on on the plane, but uh, I wanted to to patch that vulnerability, and so I was able to. I was able to do that, you know, and the yeah. same could be said for your, your rack of servers. It's Friday afternoon, 5 p.m. Uh, you want to patch the vulnerability, but you don't want to reboot your data center until so, your reboot window. On,
0: Dustin, you know. let me ask you, how does Canonical uh, have the um, confidence to send out patches to everyone's running kernels and, and, and fix them in real time? You're essentially sent you uh, in a very large picture way. Uh, Canonical will be replacing running code in real time. Um and so h- how does that work how is that tested and if you could could you also maybe talk a little bit about the service end where it, there's actually a, a, an account that's created and there's signing that happens
2: Sure absolutely so there's quite a bit of work that happens on the on the back end the service itself is a it's a it's a tremendous effort there's a there's a great team at canonical the the the, the kernel team the land distro team that that work on this and collaborate on this and they've built the mechanisms that take uh, take a patch, and, and if you've ever if you've ever ported a patch from one version of some software to another, be it kernel or user space, it's not an easy thing to do. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that you have to get right. You know, there's some tools that can help, but it's going to be done manually, right? Um, and then we have infrastructure that builds that 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 patch into a live patch, and then recompiles it against every single kernel um, that we've released against sixteen oh four, and that's a that's a number that just grows. We release a sure. new kernel every three. weeks. And Ubuntu, and every time we we generate a live patch from now on, we've got to build that live patch against all of the old sixteen oh four kernels because someone could be on any of those at any time, right? Um, just depending on the last time they they, they rebooted. It. So that's a it's a growing list. It's a tremendous amount of work and infrastructure uh, to put that together. When we do create those live patches, we then put them through a CI CD test framework, a regression testing. So. We do as much automated testing we can in uh, in virtual machines and on physical hardware uh, and try to assure as much um, as much uh, stability and and quality as possible. So far, the team's done a great job. I've been running this in beta for nine months now, and uh, I I haven't hit a a problem that crashed. Wow.
0: Nine months. Jeez. Holy smokes. That's interesting. Uh, So it sounds like it's something that you guys have been working on uh, pretty diligently for a long time behind the scenes.
2: Absolutely. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of work that's gone into this, and and we're we're oh, oh. was reaction of uh, yeah. years worth of. Um, I, interesting.
0: Effort. I saw I saw Poppy mentioning on Twitter that he'd been running it for a while. Uh, so really. Dustin, could, you, could we just talk about for a little bit uh, the, the, the aspect that might be most applicable to, to just average users that are watching this particular show? I understand there is a there's a free element to this and there's a pay element to it. And it's been funny to watch people's reaction like, what, only three machines for free? How can this be? Why is that? How does all of this work? And maybe fill in some of the details there.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so it, it I've, I've seen some of the same feedback. I'm, I'm sure you have, Chris. Um, it's uh, it's just it's it really comes back to how much time and effort and people we've invested in this feature. And it is something that we're quite proud of. Um, but we're also looking to 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 use this to um, help showcase what Ubuntu Advantage, our optional support service is for Ubuntu. Uh-huh. Uh, we're not taking anything. Away from anyone who's ever used Ubuntu, download, upgrade, reboot sure. your Ubuntu machine as much as you want. If you don't want to pay for it, or if you go beyond your your three free machines, you've got uh, you've got <laughs> you've got a uh, you've certainly got that at your disposal. Um, but. For the for the enterprise user, for the user who's using this at, at scale, um, it's part of our Ubuntu Advantage support offering. We have three levels of Ubuntu Advantage: uh, Essential, Standard, and Advanced. That start at $150, $750, $750, one hundred and uh, fifty, seven hundred and fifty, and fifteen hundred dollars per year. So at the even at the lowest end, Ubuntu Advantage Essential at one hundred and fifty dollars a year. Uh, that's less than fifty cents a day. That's uh, you know twelve dollars a month, right. basically. Right. Sure.
0: And anybody, Uh, anybody that's anybody that's making money on on a a server instance running Ubuntu would be absolutely thrilled to pay something like that. Uh, Dustin, though, could you talk a little bit about uh, the early rollout that will happen for free users and and how that sort of uh, is a pre-screen to anything that might be disastrous.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I, I was hoping to get to that when you were asking about the, 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 the testing, you know. So we do as much testing as we can behind the scenes uh, with with timing in mind. We know that some of these, these patches we've got to get out as quickly as possible. So uh, we have a, a regular set of tests since we run internally before we uh before we decide we're ready to roll one of these out mm. and the first step of the rollout process is uh it's a pretty classic canary testing methodology if you don't know what canary testing is it's 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 the same concept that's that's built around the canary in the coal mine right you send in a canary make sure there's enough oxygen that the canary survives and comes back out uh and if not then you might not want to send your uh, your team of coal miners into the uh into the coal mine uh, just yet right um and so that's, that's sort of how uh, how how the canary testing with the live patch works. We'll take a very tiny percentage of the, the free users, the community users of uh, of the live patch mechanism, and we'll roll that out to um, to a, a, a tiny percentage, uh, and then we'll check back. Are that the, those. Sorry, those uh, live patch demons will check back in with the service and report that the uh, live patch either uh, applied successfully or failed to apply, and then we'll wait a, a bit of time to make sure that um, that those machines stay up. Right? Yeah. If something, if, if if those checks fail, if uh, a number of those modules failed to load, or or some number of those machines failed to respond in a timely fashion, uh, then we will 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 we'll spring into action um, a response where we'll take a look at those results and our kernel team will will investigate a bit bit closer into what's going on. After that first pass, we'll do that uh, a second time at a slightly larger uh, percentage. So I don't know what the numbers are, but let's imagine it's 1%, 10%, and then everyone. um, But I I guess the the
0: takeaway message is if I'm an enterprise customer and I'm paying at a certain level, I can sort of rest assured that by the time these live patches come down – um they've been they've been tested not only in the continuous integration testing system, but also uh probably amongst a subset at of the of a large yep, scale of absolutely.
2: users. Yeah, and I mean Ubuntu users are so incredibly diverse, desktops, laptops, uh, you know, with the various versions of the kernel that they might be running from very old, haven't rebooted in months, to very new, just rebooted uh, ten minutes ago. Um and all of that feeds into that uh what, what amounts to a big data analytics. Uh, framework that allows us to have extreme confidence uh, and a a, a a a very safe mechanism to detect mm. when something might go wrong. You're absolutely right. So it's part of the social contract. It's not uncommon for mm. for Google to do this for their for their uh, enterprise. Right. Apps this is how Android
0: updates work. Absolutely. Yep. 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 Good. Exactly. Good parallel there. Uh, I, I guess my last question for you, Dustin, really comes down to the future. And I know anything you say is sort of maybe your opinion or whatnot, but um if if i am a 1604 user today do i have a good guarantee that when the next lts of ubuntu ships out that within time a live patch service will also be made available for the next lts because i noticed 1604 is supported but 1610 not supported
2: right so it's 1610 is not supported at this time um the 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 reality is, is that the vast majority of Ubuntu users and especially uh, Ubuntu Advantage uh, commercial customers are running sure. 16.04 period. You know, um, I love 16.10. It's on my laptop. Um, but uh, but, you know, 16.04 is where the is where the, the, the critical mass is right now. Um, we are considering and we are looking at a couple of expansions to the service. Uh, we are looking at the, the, the 16.10 kernel as well. Ah, uh, particularly in its HWE, the hardware enablement stack, we we run that kernel uh, for some customers uh, in, in in public clouds or on hardware that they need that newer kernel. Um, it's currently under inv- evaluation. I mean, we're just we're three days into the public GA. The response has been tremendous. We're seeing uh, you know an outstanding response of registrations. Um, as we get those requests, you know, send send those requests over to us on on Twitter or by email if 1610 is 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 a deal breaker for you and you need hardware or you need live patch for 1610 uh, let us know you know we we need to hear those voices it's it's so much work to do it that we just we want to make sure that we're putting sure. that putting that behind the right arrows you know yeah
0: that's that makes a lot of sense well dustin is there anything else you think the audience should know about the new live patch service you know if it's something to go look out or anything like that look up
2: yeah, the one other thing I was going to mention, you asked about the next LTS. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We we certainly plan on supporting uh, live patch for the LTSs. So uh, so so eighteen oh four as well. We can't do much for fourteen oh four because that 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 kernel mechanism is the not upstream. present in fourteen. Yeah, 1404. exactly. We yeah. need at least a on one. Um, no, Chris, but thank you very much. I'm I'm glad to be able to speak with you and connect with your users and, and listeners.
0: Well, Dustin, it was great to chat with you. And uh, I've noticed your name on a lot of the cool stuff coming out of Canonical recently. So uh, I'd love to have the opportunity to chat in the future. And thanks for making the time available even while returning from the airport, man. I really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, that was really cool. And this is undoubtedly... A huge initiative for Canonical. So I want to make it clear what they're talking about doing here is a service that will live patch a running kernel with fixes. In some cases, you will not have to reboot to have the fix loaded. It will replace code in memory uh, using the kernel module itself. And there will be some sets of patches that you will still have to restart for uh, the, the fix to actually take effect. Think about that. That's a massive, massive commitment Canonical is making to their customers because these are primarily going to be applicable to enterprise customers. But one of the things they've done a little differently here is they do make a free service available for three people or for three computers. Uh, so you you could go enable three of your computers for free. Noah. One could be a, a droplet. One could be a laptop. Um, and then these could be systems you wouldn't have to worry about um, rebooting one of the things that dustin didn 't really get into, um, but I thought maybe we could talk about here is so the canonical the canonical service is three for three computers, free for three computers, and then one hundred and fifty dollars a node a year after that and that includes that 's just that's a that's the that 's the essential Ubuntu advantage so you 're getting the support and patches for one hundred and fifty dollars a year uh, to put it in to put it in comparison. Uh, if you want to use the uh, the uh, uh, Red Hat Enterprise version of their live kernel patching, mm-hmm. you have to get an Oracle Premier support license for that instance of Red Hat Enterprise Linux, which is $2,300. You also have to have a Red Hat Enterprise subscription to begin with, which is what?
1: $300.
0: Uh, $1,300? No, because you have to have the Red Hat Linux. You have to have Red Hat Enterprise Linux server premium subscription to get live kernel patching. Okay. So that's – it's $1,300 for the premium subscription, and then you need the Oracle Linux Premier Support License because they're the ones that wrote the code, uh, which is $2,300. So is my ru- this is my rough understanding. So sure. that's a huge <laughs> amount. And if you – hold on. If you want to do it on SUSE, SUSE it's, – it's available for SUSE Linux Enterprise 12 priority support subscription, which is $1,500 a node a year. And all of these, by the way, are per server, all these costs. Sure, It's quite a bit of money, so $150 for Ubuntu Advantage plus three machines are free. This is mm-hmm. – by this definition, this is the cheapest method to do these live patches unless you just used it yourself. I mean this is kernel code, so maybe that's possible.
1: I, I, the, the thing is to me, the cost is actually pretty much irrelevant. I think that – and you called this in the interview. If you're a business and you rely on your server to keep your business running, $1,200, $2,000 – $5,000 it's a drop in the hat uh to make sure that, that that server you know is is up and running the thing that canonical just really freaking nailed is they're charging enough that they will be able to make some money off of it and yet and, and and but really i think what that charge is doing that cost is adding value people are recognizing that there's value there because too often in the open source community we get into this habit of expecting things it completely uh, at zero cost. And that's just not the way that the world works. And so... It, yeah, it, it, I agree. The dollar amount doesn't necessarily matter to me. But the fact See, that they're letting you do three computers for free... That's where awesome. I disagree.
0: I think you are absolutely right um, in, like, the enterprise context and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of... Really, anywhere where you're running Red Hat Enterprise server, I think you're mm-hmm. probably right. That price mm-hmm. is not quite as relevant. However, sure. if you look at the success that Ubuntu has had on the cloud, um, mm-hmm. that is... It is a rash that is across the entire cloud. Whereas Red Hat, it's it'd be kind of a joke to say I'm going to go I'm going to go deploy a SuSE Linux Enterprise server on a VPS. I mean, not many mm-hmm. people are doing that. Not many people sure. are deploying Red Hat Enterprise Server either. They might be deploying CentOS for sure, mm-hmm. but not many of them are deploying Red Hat Enterprise Linux on right. something like a, a Linode or a, or something like sure. I mean, it's sure. it's just mm-hmm. not as common. And whereas Ubuntu mm-hmm. is. So much more common. Or look at Amazon Web Services, again, where those enterprise distros do exist, but yet again, Ubuntu, massively larger percentage. I think it's what, Mm -hmm. something like in the 73% share on on AWS or something like that. I I think part of that is cost. I think another part of it has been accessibility to people that are creating the things that are running on these servers. And Mm -hmm. because, sure, maybe cost doesn't matter on the server as much. Mm -hmm. But I I think what Canonical is going for with these free three machines is they're Mm -hmm. going for VPSs and laptops and desktops because not only does that make it accessible to a different class of user who might just be getting something started up. Like I Mm -hmm. could pick I you know what I could I could pick three droplets and be good Mm -hmm. with those three droplets and the other ones rebooting. So that's actually doable for me. But on top Mm -hmm. of that. It widens their test base because everyone's who's a, everyone that's a free user of this, mm-hmm. even on the desktop, if you're just somebody who doesn't like to reboot your desktop but you want to stay secure, Absolutely. you become part of the Canary service from time to time, and mm-hmm. you make it a better product for the people that are paying. So mm-hmm. I actually think this is super clever. And, uh, and then I, I think the, the biggest takeaway from this is what I really like is they're using upstream code that's already in kernel, uh, Linux kernel 4.4 and up. And I think that's the brilliant part because then they can focus on so much of the other stuff, the services, the interface, the creating the business relationships, and they don't have to be inventing this code to make this possible. Uh, So that seems like the really nice move because already they have folks like IBM working on uh, additional platforms like power and arm
1: all right yeah to clarify i wasn't necessarily saying that it doesn't affect things one way or the other it just doesn't affect my uh, my perception of it's a good idea or yeah. a bad idea the cost is not does, is not relevant in that is not factored into that i think that the fact that they are offering a couple free machines really speaks to their good nature towards the community and then the fact that they are are charging a set dollar amount you know above that even if it is drastically reduced than what you would get from their competition i think that speaks to their good business sense
0: yeah um, i still think it's always worth looking at any of these kinds of things with a certain amount of skepticism um so like they're publishing they're publishing the source code for the live patch modules the back end mm-hmm. stuff that's that's their own commercial product they say they're not publishing mm-hmm. that so that's mm-hmm. something else to consider the, i mean the levers they're pulling in the kernel that's upstream code but the stuff they're mm-hmm. using to pull those levers Mm-hmm. Not necessarily open source. So that's stuff to look into. It's always worth looking at everybody's version of this. And, of course, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're already on Red Enterprise Linux or SUSE, there's already a solution mm-hmm. for you. This doesn't really apply. But I, I do think this is fascinating for – I could just picture like you know the, the, the prototypical Ubuntu workstation that's an LTS workstation because it, it's mm-hmm. getting used on a shop floor or it's getting used by a developer that never wants to reboot. I see value in this even for the desktop. I think it's great bringing it down below thousands of dollars. So I think, it's, I think it's a pretty good hit all around. It sounds like they've been working on it internally for quite a while as well. And the level of commitment they're taking to not breaking your production system is yes. huge for Canonical as a company. I think, yep. this is a, mm-hmm. I think that maybe for, from a historical standpoint, this is one of the biggest commitments they've ever made to the enterprise ever. Exactly. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. that's that's interesting too. And it's you know it's up there with the big steps that companies like like SUSE, like Red Hat, like Oracle the kind of commitments that they make at that really high level of yeah, we know your S is on the line and yes, we are willing to make the service available to you. Exactly. That's a big step. So, all right, before we get out of the news, there's two, there's two other big stories we should really touch on. Um <laughs> it's really kind of been a crazy week. You've probably heard about the most serious Linux privilege escalation bug ever. That it's under active exploit, uh, that's how ours wrote it. Uh, this is uh, a vulnerability that's been around for a long time, and it's it's also uh, been called the cow vulnerability because it actually specifically writes to relates to copy on write. I'm going to. Uh, I actually have a, I, I have broken it all down in the show notes, so I I, I have sourced this from probably. <laughs> Let me see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different sites. So Mm -hmm. uh, instead of just instead of going through one site, I thought maybe we'd go through all of them and kind of kind of just break it down because it is getting. um, Well, there's not really much to show you there, is there? No, no, there's not because it's getting a lot of press coverage. It's getting a lot of attention as this is a vulnerability that's been around for a long time. And it comes on the heels of a report done by Google that shows the average Linux vulnerability in the kernel exists out in the wild for five years. We covered that last week. And so the timing of this super sucks because this one's been around for nine. Hey, that makes us look great. And so the vulnerability is it's a it's a race condition that was found in the way Linux memory handles a deduplication technique called copy on write. That's where Cow comes from. Um, untrusted users can exploit it to gain highly privileged write access to the write memory mappings that would normally have been read-only to them. So the bug is marked as a high priority, and it gets its name from the copy-on-write mechanism in the Linux kernel, which is so broken that in any application or any malicious program can tamper with the read-only root-owned executable files uh, and set UID executables. The race condition was found in a way that the memory subsystem handled these copy-on-write breakages of private read-only memory mappings. An unprivileged local user could use this flaw to gain write access, which would otherwise be restricted to them and increase their privileges on the system. The Dirty Cow vulnerability has been present in the kernel since version 2.6.22 in 2007 and is believed to also be present in Android. Yeah, that's right, everybody. <laughs> and uh, Red Hat's already got uh, their uh, their um, posts up about it. We've got a couple of those. CVE 2016-5195 is the one you want to look up for uh, details on it. And we have also a link to the... Wiki uh, for Dirty Cow, and as well as, in case you really want to play with it, we have proof of concept code linked in the show notes as well. And this one's getting a lot of attention. Have you heard
1: the buzz? Have you seen some of the headlines about it? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, too, and I can't help but bring this up, but two years ago at Linux West Northwest, when we were in the middle of troubleshooting, when we were trying to get Alan to Linux, and Alan wasn't Linuxing very well, the (laughs) error that we eventually ran into was, could not load bootloader because could not find canonical path cow. And so, like, we had no idea what it was. Now and you so know. We took a picture of it and we tweeted, <laughs> yeah, and we tweeted, uh, we t- we tweeted, Popey, um, Popey, yeah. and we're like, and 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 then he gave us some smart Alec response about using Google. So then Q5 was like, no, it's okay. We just went into the barn and and gripped, you know frog and got and then it turned. Yeah, into that was joke. funny. I do remember. But we never all did that. find out what what cow was. Now we know. Now you know. So that's what
0: stands. Yeah, up. this isn't like copy on and write like your file system. Although the, it maybe it's kind of similar, but this is for this is for data in RAM. Um and so you know it's it's kind of funny covering this on the heels of the last story. This is really the problem is none of these devices are getting patched. People are not patching their S and I think I think a big part of it for server systems has been the reboot problem and so I think live patching helps that a little bit. We need something like that everywhere. Essentially it needs to be it needs to be common industry practice that you you do not deploy an internet connected operating system Without a solid way to do signed secure updates. That just – because from a brand perspective, this is going to start – if your IP camera has become known as the devices that contributed to the DDoS attack over the weekend, they're probably going to get rated a little bit shittier on Amazon. They're probably going to get sold a little bit less. I mean it's going to start affecting people's brands at some point. Yeah, exactly. And it sucks that there's still machines out there running Linux kernel to something. Mm-hmm. That should be a runs Linux. Somebody, if you got a machine, uh, an embedded machine or something like that, or a desktop or God forbid, an internet connected server uh, running an old version. Let's say some,
1: something below. What's your kernel version on your fridge? I don't probably something to something. I'm sure. I'm sure. Because it was made. It, the, the thing was made in 2010. And it has. I know for a fact they haven't updated it since then. So whatever kernel and and you know that it wasn't even shipping with the newest kernel in 2010. It was probably something before that. And kernel three something came out in 2012. So yeah, I'm guessing two six two seven something like that. Would be my guess. Well,
0: no. that'd be, that'd be funny. <laughs> that'd be funny. So speaking of those devices in the DDoS, this was a thing this weekend. The Internet of Things believed to be a target in a target of a massive DDoS attack. Websites including PayPal, Reddit, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter. And others were offline. Man, you must have just been uh, suffering there, Noah. Just suffering.
1: Nope, because I don't have any Internet of Things. All my stuff is on the LAN only and doesn't talk out to the Internet. And I have to use a tunnel to get to that stuff from the outside, which is what I keep telling you people over and over and over and over and over again is don't rely on the cloud. Don't put random things on the Internet on your network. It's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. It's a bad idea, and I saw that what what actually kind of tipped me off to this was I saw a post on social media about a gentleman who was he couldn't figure out why he couldn't shut his lights off in one of his rooms in his house. Oh my! He was using one of these smartphone no. controlled no. light things that you bought at Lowe's or whatever, and um, turns out it was it was some sort of service. That was proxying that connection from his uh, from the app and then it goes up to some magic server and some magic script and some cloud based thing comes down to his cloud based lights and turns his light on and off and and somewhere in there this dNS attack had Uh, rendered that service inoperable for a short period of time so he wasn't able to turn his lights off and it just that is the kind of thing that i'm like this is totally stupid there is no reason when i send a command from my smartphone when i'm at home that that needs to ever leave my network in fact it shouldn't nothing outside of my network should even be aware that i'm sending that command it should all be local i I gotta i gotta
0: dig into this um because, so I guess, I guess I, I, in Lady Jupiter, I have successfully gone offline because I, I was boondocking mm-hmm. Friday, which is our uh, RV term for essentially dry camping without, with every with, running off battery, no, not hooked up to anything. And sure. uh, so I was running offline pretty much all day Friday and I didn't notice that there was any outages because I was taking the day off from the internet and working locally. But my, my rough understanding is essentially the DYN folks, the dynamic DNS guys, were getting attacked. And a, a bunch of S just fell apart from there. I'm not – I'm sure I'm going to – I'll dig into it more throughout the week. But
1: Yeah, my, my, my brief understanding – and again, I haven't dug into it super deep. But my understanding is uh, based on the interwebs is that uh, there are a lot of people – there are some hacktivist groups that were upset about Julian Assange's internet getting cut off. And so they uh, launched DDoS attacks on DNS servers inside of the US. Now, I think it must extend beyond just dynamic DNS because I feel like Spotify and Netflix, they wouldn't be relying – on dynamic DNS with well, their
0: services. Well, I think right? they, uh, DYN also offers a host of other services too that are like okay. general DNS management and whatnot. Gotcha. That, yeah,
1: Okay, so maybe that's what it is. Um, yeah, I, and I,
0: yeah, This is something, this particular issue is something we have covered extensively now for a couple of years on TechSnap. Mm-hmm. Um, even just in the last couple of weeks, we've been, this is, uh, all of this, including also DNS amplification attacks and NTP amplification attacks, all of this is becoming a big problem, and we've been talking about it on TechSnip. So if this kind of stuff pushes your buttons and you want to know more, definitely go tune into that over at Jupiter Broadcasting. And, I, yeah, I'm going to read more about this because you're right. This was an emphatic underscore of the point you make a lot on this show is that if you are on your own land and you have all of your stuff offline, it doesn't matter what the cloud's doing mm-hmm. because the cloud, after all, is just other people's computers, Right. Exactly. So you never know when other people's computers are going to be screwed up, or what kind of stupid decisions they're going to make, or when they're going to piss somebody off. Uh, and I I totally missed this outage, I think, because it didn't really didn't really affect me. I probably if I was here working at the studio, I probably would have been more aware of it. But yeah, <laughs> huh, interesting. Well, we have links to everything we talked about, including uh, uh, links from Dustin on the live patch stuff, lots of sourced information on the uh, cow vulnerability, and I have a feeling that'll also be covered in TechSnap. As well as some interesting coverage on this whole Internet of Things DDoS attack. Whoa, What's the matter over there, Brown Bear? What is it? Sorry, no. Wait, what? What are you looking at?
1: It's been this fly the entire episode, and it has been flying all around. And now it's like <laughs> I think it thinks my lights are outdoors, and it's like whacking okay. against the, violently against the light. I'm sorry. You know
0: what? Let's go have this guy explain to us what a CRM is. One of the things I love about Noah's day job is it is like a lab for our experimentation right here on the show, and sometimes we really get to reap the benefits. He went out and dug into something. We're about to get into that, and I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. It is a topic that I have avoided not just personally, not just a little bit, on a professional level, when the CRM was getting rolled out at a client, eh, that Chris Chris let somebody else handle that particular problem. That's not so he had other things to worry about. important things. I'll go set up your SQL database, but I don't want to know about your CRM. But Noah managed to actually pique my interest. And it's with an open source project, so I'm going to tell you all about that. But first, we got to thank the sponsor that makes this segment possible, and that is Linux Academy. In fact, if you go to linuxacademy.com/unplugged, you get to support this show and sign up for a seven day free trial. Here oh, we go new to the world of Linux, all right. Azure, and AWS. Give it to open me. Stack and DevOps. Okay, a sharp skill set is an absolute necessity to succeed. Meet Linux Academy, an online Linux and cloud training platform that uses self-paced video courses and hands-on labs to give you real-world experience for a wide range of skills. Train for your certification, learn the latest DevOps tools, and grow your skill set to do better work. Linux Academy is not just a video library. Our scenario-based server labs and quiz system allow you to learn hands-on. We also have full-time human instructors who answer questions and help you earn that certification or promotion at work. Listen, YouTube, I know I hit that mute button. I know I hit that mute button, YouTube, because I wanted to tell the people all those things, but you did a good job anyways. You did. I really did legitimately hit that mute button. It's cool, though. It's cool because you you know what they don't say there? They don't tell you about that 7-day. A free trial, and they don't tell you about what I think is maybe one of the biggest deals ever, because you go over to Linux Academy, you get into some of the courseware, you realize it's the best stuff on the subject, and if you're like me and you're just even kind of passionate about this topic, you start just eating it up. Nom, 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 nom. And you get a lot of really good stuff done problem was it's hard to brag about it, either to your employer, to maybe a potential client, or even just to friends and family. Honestly, you sometimes want to be able to show off your accomplishments, and that's why I think it's brilliant they've recently launched the Linux Academy Public Profiles. That's a great way when you're trying to get a gig or if you're getting education as part of your employment. It's also very important. They have some really great stuff, including learning paths if you're going to go get some certs, where instructors have put together specific tracks for you. They have the course scheduler for those of us that don't have a lot of free time, and those new iOS and Android apps that help you study on the go, as well as their downloadable content and comprehensive study guides for those of you that like the things offline, like Mr. Kernel Linux, they got you covered too. LinuxAcademy.com unplug That's where you go to support this show. And you could go watch that video too if you didn't get a sense. But YouTube, they got me covered. Not only did I mute it, But the play bar didn't show any progress. Like the whole thing just went totally crazy. So that's why we're going to bring it. We're going to center ourselves and we're going to learn about an open source CRM.
1: As the year winds down, AltaSpeed work is slowing down for me. This is always kind of a slow time of the year, and I very much believe in maximizing uh, my time. And so what I try to do towards the end of the year is set aside some time to work on AltaSpeed rather than in AltaSpeed. What I mean by that is, rather than taking time to do the day-to-day tasks that actually bring us in revenue, I try to take some time to take a step back and say... How are we doing overall as a company? Where are areas that we can improve in our efficiency and our effectiveness? And how can we overall grow as a company? The last couple months, I've been working on trying to expand Altispeed outside of Grand Forks, as well as expand our customer base inside of Grand Forks. But of course, I have enough on my plate already. So that's going to need to be delegated to a person or group of other people. I still need to maintain a picture of what my company is doing at all times. Call me a control freak, but I like to know. And so I needed a software solution that was, of course, going to be Linux compatible, preferably open source, that was going to allow me to essentially snapshot my company And help me track this growth. That way we can more effectively make plans and, of course, properly allocate financial resources. A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from somebody that was trying to do the exact same thing. And I suggested to him Zermo, Zermo CRM, or Customer Relationship Management. Basically, it's a software to help manage your customers. Apparently, there was some confusion in the name, and we followed it up with the feedback, which Chris was very excited to do. And after that, uh, we didn't really hear anything from it, and so I started to wonder, maybe interest kind of died. So I decided this week, I'm going to take some time to show you exactly what Zermo is, exactly what it can do, and exactly how we here at AltaSpeed are using an all-open-source solution powered by Linux to grow our business. Now, before we dive into exactly what Zermo is, we need to understand what a CRM is and what it's for. Put very simply, a CRM is basically to manage your customers. It is a software package that manages customers. We can keep track of our customers so we know who they are. We can keep uh, track of contacts and the various projects and tasks that are going on with those customers. Now, I researched a bunch of CRMs. I took a look at Sugar CRM. I took a look at Zermo CRM. I even looked at CRM solutions that weren't even really CRM solutions, but I thought maybe I could shoehorn them into fitting for me. And hands down, Above, uh, above all, Zermo comes out ahead. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to talk about when we talk about getting to using Zermo. This is not a how-to specifically, it's more of a review or an in-depth dive of what we're doing with Zermo. Nonetheless, I wanna give you the basic tools you'll need if you decide that you want to implement this. So the first thing that we need to talk about is how we can get it installed. Now, you know me, I'm no fan of magic scripts. However, in this particular instance, because I was just trying Zermo out and it wasn't really something, at least initially, that was going to go into production, I had to start with something that was easy and then later went back and actually built it from scratch. The easiest way to get Zermo running is something that might be a little different than what you might be used to. There is a service called Bitnami and Bitnami if you're not familiar with it basically provides uh installation scripts if you will and I can choose an application and I can uh demo it right here in the browser. I can uh, download a container, or I can download just a little installer uh, script that will basically let me install it right onto to the computer and that that 's really helpful if you want to do it in something like uh, DigitalOcean now I am actually I opted to go a slightly different route this time. I wanted to try out the new Google Services, which is basically a, a Google compute instance that has That ties in with Bitnami to provide those application installers right there in uh, the Google services. So it's kind of like DigitalOcean's one-click install, except it's for Bitnami rather than the the one-click installs. And since Zermo was already available on Bitnami, I decided to go that route, and that's how I was going to demo it. So that's where this is being hosted today for the demo. Um, The actual production database that we're going to use for AltaSpeed is going to be obviously hosted at DigitalOcean, and there will be no magic scripts, no a compiled well, not compiled, but Noah installed and configured that by hand because I need to know how it works. So when it breaks, I can fix it. So let's dive into exactly what Zermo is. I have a demo set up at demo.jupiterbroadcasting.org. And we are going to log in. And this is what we get to. It's a very well-designed UI. You notice there aren't a ton of buttons and options. I basically have my dashboard. The concept of a dashboard is something I really like. I love the idea of going to a website and having an overview of what my company is doing right there before I even have to dive into anything. It's kind of like what I appreciate about the Ting dashboard or the DigitalOcean dashboard. I can see what all my servers or all my phones are doing. Now I have an idea. I have a snapshot of what my company is doing basically in real time. You notice right at the front here is a calendar, a Uh, list of reminders. And prior to this, we actually at AltaSpeed did not have any sort of calendaring solution. We have a scheduling solution that we use to schedule service calls, but I could either block time off if I wanted to go have lunch or I had a meeting or something like that, or I could schedule actual service calls, but it wasn't very granular in that I couldn't say I want to go to the uh, the Linux Fest Northwest and that's you know obviously a business event and then you know other people could see that and know where I am and and, and what's going on. Certainly I couldn't do it for potential customers because they don't have an account inside of our ticketing system. So I went ahead and created an account for Jupiter Broadcasting. I'm going to treat them as if they were a customer. I'm going to close this. So basically, I create an account of, of a customer. And this doesn't necessarily have to be an active customer. It may be a potential customer, somebody that might be a client in the future, but I want to start kind of feeling him out what's going on. So the first thing I'm probably going to do is I'm going to create a contact. And I'm going to say, you know, who is it at this company that I know? Who can I talk talk to and, and keep an ongoing dialogue? So that would be probably Chris Fisher. And uh, his, uh, his job title is CEO. And uh, I'm going to put his phone number in here. And I'm going to save it. And now uh, Chris is a contact and I can make notes. About him uh, or, may, or I can have different kinds of contacts so maybe the first person that I meet uh, might be the front desk associate now maybe I have her name and so I can name drop her when I go to talk to the general manager hey by the way uh, my name's no one I talked to I ran into Kylie at the, at the front desk and she was telling me this is kind of how your operation runs and this is where we might be able to serve you that you know that kind of thing if, if I could, if the more names you know you know the more I can kind of slide in there and, and talk a little bit and so that helps me kind of get my, my feet grounded now once I've actually established Contact And I want to start actually, you know, again, this is from the perspective of a potential client. I want to start looking at how we can best serve them. I might create a task list. And so here, the first task might be a site survey. Um, And uh, I'm going to save that. And so the site survey is, the description of the site survey is, how can we best serve? Um, And so the checklist might be um, something like, check all... Available network connections, Um, and I might look at um, physical layout of network, Um, and then all of these are going to get uh, you know categorized. There, you know, it's very granular. And here I have an actual checklist. But then all I see again from the dashboard is just site survey. Or maybe I might go in here and I would say, you know, I met uh, Rakai Burgers for. Rakai, met with video editor at JB, seems very capable and can be bought off with burgers. So I'm going to go ahead and save that. And then inside here, get burger that he likes. Bring burger to studio. Let beard stuff face with burger. And again, all of this is tracked under, under headings. And if, if one of these is done, site survey is done, I can go ahead and check it off. And now I can, it doesn't delete it. It just le- lets me know this task has been completed. Um, and again, you, you envision this, right? If I have multiple people working, if I have one guy going out and doing the sales, and maybe I've got another guy that he, his job is site deployment. So he's going out there looking at how we can implement the things that we're promising. He can go out and say, okay, the site survey was done. And of course, the entire time we're adding, uh, you know, information as this guy goes, out and he does all these things. He's adding a comment. The half, you know, like half the network jacks don't work. Stuff like this is all being tracked. And it is built from the idea that these are people that start out as non-customers and may become customers in the future. Now, once they become customers, we have a whole nother, uh, you know, um, set of tools that we can use to, uh, to track all of this stuff. I can go in here and I can schedule meetings with these people. And, uh, of course, at any time, again, we have this generic comment thing. This is a test. Again, any time I need to just document something, hey, I ran into this person or I saw this, I can just make a a general kind of comment. There is an opportunities uh, window, which is basically like the idea is. I might have some. I might see a potential need, and I haven't necessarily talked them into it yet. But uh, you know, it, 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 it's it's a potential thing that I don't want to forget. And Chris and I are really bad about that. We'll have a ton of really good ideas, and then poof, they're gone, like right before we leave, right? And so, what the software is allowing me to do is, I can walk in and say, "Hey, you know what? I notice every time I go to this particular business, their printer doesn't work." And so, I can make a note and say. Um, printer not working at front desk and now that that again is it's filed under a opportunity and so later i can go back through my leads and inside of zermo and it will actually show me let oh, see bring this back up again and it'll actually show me where all of these uh, where all of the potential for work is and it does a couple of things one is it's going to lead uh, me to more revenue and at the same time i think we're serving customers better because we're more accurately able to track their needs and the it because it's web based and because it's running on Linux, it's going to be available to me at scale, not just in Grand Forks, but everywhere. So I think it's going to really allow us to grow. So that's a brief look at what Zermo is doing. I hope you found that helpful. If you want any more information, we're going to have some more information inside of the show notes, as well as a link to manually getting Zermo up and running. If you want to use it in production on DigitalOcean, which is what I would recommend, I would highly recommend doing it by hand, not using the scripts again. Uh, 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 Bitnami is the service that has a pre-done installation script if you just want to try it, and then this is running on a Google Cloud Compute instance. So that's a t- that's a, a brief look at Zermel. Hope you found it enjoyable. Oh, that was really cool. And uh, wait for the out. What did you think of using the
0: uh, the Google Cloud Compute service? How did that go?
1: It's okay. I, here's the thing: it's great for testing. Uh, it, it's great for playing with. I would never use it in production. Oh, really? Um, well, so there's a couple of things. I don't like their, their well, the non existence of a dashboard. Basically, they file everything into what they call projects, but you can't actually see the machine. So, for example, I don't know what operating system uh, my thing is running. I know it's Linux, because it, I can tell that it says Linux kernel or whatever, but I have no idea if it's Ubuntu or if it's Fedora. And I don't actually have access to the machine to go in if I wanted to, let's say, Copy a file out of it or something like that. I can't do that because it's all in this like packaged little project thing. Um, so my my impression of it, and it's cost effective, so it's a yeah, great way. Again, if you want to try something, yeah. just play with it. No, I would I wouldn't even consider. I wouldn't even think about using it in production. So, in fact, so much so I wouldn't even use it in I wouldn't even use it in production long enough to see if it works in production. I moved it over to DigitalOcean oh. before I even got that far in the test. So
0: it's, you must have been pretty happy to find an open source solution to solve this problem. And it sounds oh. like something you're pretty comfortable recommending to other businesses and maybe uh-huh. even.
1: A hundred percent. And the other thing too, and and again, there were certain things I couldn't show because of the demo instance, because there's not real information there, but, uh, uh, Zermo does this thing. It turns it into a game. So you get badges inside of the CRM. So for example, the first time you make a con, the first time you log a contact in a business, you get a badge. The first time you add a new business, you get a badge. And so it encourages your staff and your team to, you know, to play, all, it turns it almost into like this game where the more people I can make contact with, the more people I can talk to, the more information I can gather, the more my badge number increases, which is a really cool thing. Um, you know, yeah. that you know,
0: competition is always kind of cool. That is it. That's a great way to just sort of make it a little bit more fun for something that sometimes mm-hmm. isn't all that fun. And then I guess the other thing that I thought was kind of cool about your review is uh, I hadn't tried out Bitnami, but it sounds like that might be kind of
1: legit. Bitnami was, is pretty neat. The, the thing is, it, it combines two things I don't like, though. It, it has, uh, It's essentially a repository of magic scripts, yes, right? But, but... <laughs> for testing
0: and trying to see if it's a feasible yes. application for your users to use or for you to use or to export or import data, this is exactly. kind of neat.
1: Now, I tried Bitnami on Ubuntu 16.04. The script failed. I tried it on 14.04. The script failed. I tried it on CentOS 7. The script failed. I tried it on CentOS 6. The script failed. I tried it on Debian 8. And it worked. Whoa, so okay. it, it's uh, and they don't tell you that when you go to download the script, it doesn't say use this particular version of Linux. Um, but I just. <laughs> I just had to so your distance it to
0: like, may vary, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It requires and, but additional it, testing. Yeah. Uh, but looking through, they have a lot of things like uh, WordPress. Yeah. And uh, Ghost and, is in uh, here. Term- and I forget um, the name of the project, but the uh, f- uh project uh, open fire the so the XmvP mm-hmm, server mm-hmm. Type, um and I set some of those up and they're they're quite involved, so to have a little script, you know again, just for testing or playing with yeah,' would be really kind of cool.
0: yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here. I mean, some of this stuff's already on digitalocean if you just go that route, but there's more than than mm-hmm. than that's there, uh including some nice ones like you track well, the, the nice
1: but again, the nice thing, the thing I really like about the service is that they provide a installation script, so you can yeah. take it anywhere.
0: Yeah. You know? And this is this is not really related to uh, Zumo, Zermo, it's just a nope. way to try it. Uh, so no,
1: although they do have some sort of blessing from Zermo, because the way I found BitNemi was through the Zermo site. They have it linked, they say, if you want to try it, here's a pre-done installation script.
0: Hmm. Pretty yeah, nice. So some sort of blessing. Sounds like a nice, sounds like a nice win for AltaSpeed, and uh, a nice mm-hmm. uh, check off the box, does open source have this? That Mm -hmm. uh, you could throw up on a system pretty easy and try it out and see how it runs. All right. That's the Linux Axe Show's first and likely only look (laughs) at a CRM. And thank goodness there's a good one that's open source. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. But, of course, we do have some feedback. Plus, we have a poll to follow up on. And then there's a community question that is so important. It's causing listeners to tune out. So we're going to answer that. It's we're going to we're going to tackle it. But first, I want to thank System seventy six for making this segment possible. You know they have great laptops. We talk about these. They have super nice desktops, but they've been on a rampage. Crazy System 7, seventy six is so crazy. They're updating all their machines. I swear, it seems like. And the new now, I believe you say it as Limer. Limer. <laughs> but Lee. Yeah, I like that. And this is, a, this is a, the Lemur, just as fancy as the name. The rig's even fancier. It's got a 7th-gen Intel processor, which is totally badass. It's got, of course, the latest graphics from that, and a USB-C, and up to 32 gigabytes of DDR4 bad Mamma Jamma RAM. And this is a, in a little tiny machine, 14.1-inch display with a 7th-gen 7th Gen Intel. And then that you get to say that name all the time, Lemur. Just like that, and uh, you know that. Or you could say
1: Lemur. That's starting at $699. six ninety
0: nine, six six ninety nine for the, if you do it in U S. greenbacks, or uh, sixty two bucks a month. That's 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 a great deal. You know what? You know what we never talk about. You know what we hmm. never talk about for some reason. Because so I guess do we never talk about I, this is ridiculous too. When I think about it, because we maybe maybe like maybe like a month ago we mentioned this. But you know what's the most popular uh, OS on uh, the cloud? We just talked about it. It's about Ubuntu. You. And, and you yeah. know who sells Ubuntu servers backed by a company that knows Ubuntu inside and out? System 76. Go check out their servers as well. And tell them the Linux action. Tell them Noah switched you to Linux. System76.com. Thanks, guys. All right, so last couple of weeks we've been trying to figure out what is a bare bones Linux, and uh, did I get your take on it? Do you define bare bones as X? What I
1: said here's here's what I said. I said that if we're, there, we we have to define what we're talking about. If we're talking about servers, or we're talking about desktops because the answer is totally different. And I don't. But but we took a poll nonetheless and asked. We asked you the audience, what do you define as bare Linux? Does it include X? Does it not include X? And the results are. <laughs> Da, 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 da. Yeah, well,
0: with an absolutely scientific base that people got off their butts and voted, so it's totally, totally relevant. 60% of the audience says that Bare Bones Linux is defined by them as X free, and only 40% said they consider barebones Linux has X. 60% agreed with me. I, I did not expect that. I thought I was the weird guy that was saying small, tiny Bare Bones distros were X free. But I think when I think bare bones, I think of a bare bones Linux installation that's mm-hmm. like maybe a package manager and a couple of other things, uh, maybe a package manager. So that's why I didn't really think X was involved. But then again, I know a bunch of great tiny ones out there. So, yeah, I feel vindicated. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to celebrate after the show with a, uh, with a celebratory pizza or a celebratory Burger, I don't know yet. All I'm right, so I'll over. take on uh, Corey's. Hey, speaking of okay. System76, he's got a question about System76 and similar Clevo models. So would I be able to use the System76 PPA on a more generic Clevo laptop with the same model that, say, the Oryx Pro is based on? I had an opportunity to purchase a secondhand one, and uh, I'm not quite sure if I can get everything working under Ubuntu 1610. And he gives the model. Now, do you happen to have an answer to this? Because I have
1: speculation. I- I, I do. I have. I have a, almost the definitive answer. My understanding is the answer to that question is no. You could try it, and there might be certain things that will work. But System seventy six yeah they swap out hardware components they make they literally open up and resolder things sometimes to to disable things or re-enable things or make other things work they flash different firmware on it to make so certain things that aren't controlled by the driver so you might get some functionality out of it it might work out of the box but it's i guess my answer would be it's probably no different than going into best buy and buying a laptop at that point
0: yeah there's enough every every time and it's and generally, the way they make their the way they make their modifications, you know. So I've got two bonobos here, um, and uh, these both had m- different modifications done to them from the stock OEM hardware. Uh, System seventy six does assemble these machines and modifies them themselves. They don't arrive pre assembled and out of the box. Right. They they customize them and build them. And both of these had some slight modifications to event- essentially avoid all of the problems with split graphics that. Were, uh-huh. that were just uh, uh, when these models were being brand new, were just an absolute nightmare, and uh-huh. we're only now starting to get better, really. Um, and that the 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 image they have on their BIOS and the way they write the driver for the PPA assumes probably those modifications, I would think. But the way they yes. did those modifications, I've I've never actually I I very rarely these days install the PPA. I generally will on a brand new system. Um, it is also I believe in the AUR if you're on Arch. But uh, both of these systems no longer I, – I don't even bother with the PPA. This is running Ubuntu Mate edition 1610 and uh, I don't – I don't even bother with that in the box. Yeah, it just yeah. works. So
1: that's, you so know, you could give it, you could give it a shot. It just, again, there's no guarantee. Yeah. It's kind of hit or miss. All right. You got LJ. So yeah, LJ writes in and he has a question about Ubuntu 1604 1610. And he says, regarding the Wi-Fi problems that you are facing in 1604 and probably 1610, please check the inscr- instructions in the script attached. It may be a dirty solution, but in the end it works and it's completely transparent to the user. Kind regards LJ. Now, Last week, we did a review of Ubuntu 16.10, and I had a horrible time with, with 16.10, and Chris had an amazing time with 16.10. And so the question was brought, maybe it's because I needed to do a clean install. Yeah, so you, did, did.
0: you did an upgrade to 16.10 from 16.04.
1: From 16.04. And so I wiped my entire laptop. I spent hours, I mean, I didn't get done until 8 or 9 o'clock at night, uh, backing all my stuff up <laughs> and reinstall my operating system from scratch, yeah. and for the first time... I'd say four or five days things were pretty good I had one like total system lockup uh, weird issue where when it would come out of standby I couldn't type in my password and uh. then after I would, was able to log in like I was watching Netflix and the whole thing just locked up and that was kind of frustrating and mm. I kind of wrote that off. sounds, like, around- sounds like maybe video drivers maybe but it's intel integrated i mean how do you screw that up and then like thursday ish i start i had my first wi-fi problem and I, I i i actually told chris he goes bring this up on the air and i said i will but i think i'm gonna cut him some slack because maybe it was just a one-off thing it didn't do that thing where wi-fi totally vanished it just disabled wi-fi and i just clicked on enable and then i, I was back in business but then friday and then saturday it totally died and it, now i'm back to i bring it out of standby one every three or four times and it just yeah i just don't have wi-fi this is on a so, lenovo this is on. Oh well, no. This is on. This is on my. This is on an X240. This is on an X250. This is on a Dell Precision 6400, and it's on a uh, Dell Latitude E5340. Hmm. All four of those computers have the exact same problem, but only in Ubuntu uh, 1604 or higher. Worked perfectly fine in 1404. Worked perfectly fine in Fedora. Works perfectly fine in Arch. It's just, uh, and so I don't know. Um, so but we're going to attempt fun-
0: to embed his resume script. It's a system D unit. Uh, we're going to attempt to uh, put this in the show notes and see if it renders properly right. so people can use this hack if they want.
1: Yeah. However, I Quote, just unquote, I hack. think it is frustrating that there are still people on Ask Ubuntu that are reporting these problems in 1610. And now there is like this script that seems to be like accepted by people. is like this is the way that you fix wireless. We shouldn't have to fix wireless in an operating system for crying out loud. It's 2016. That's a very important aspect that yeah. needs to work out of the box, you guys. I'm still I still haven't had a problem. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm not alone, though. There's other people.
0: I believe there. you. I, I believe you. I have been there when I'm the one having the problem and nobody else has had it. It's super frustrating. Mm-hmm. Welcome to most of my life, actually. Uh, <laughs> Welcome so, to your life on Android. <laughs> here's where I uh, I wanted to respond to this because I didn't – I think maybe you and I talked about it off-air. And I know mm-hmm. we talked about it on-air once but didn't really mm-hmm. think it was worth mentioning. But uh, uh, not uh, – Let's see here. It's on the subreddit. Yeah, LinuxActionShow.reddit.com at is where this was submitted. And nothing but the rain wrote in and said, "Noah, man, are you getting enough sleep? You seem like you're super salty." And I don't know. Maybe that's like that's like code for I don't know what salty is quite code for, but I don't think it's good. Uh, it
1: means angry.
0: And I would I would call uh, I would call aggressively contrarian in the past couple of shows among the ones I listened to Linux Unplugged, Last, and User Air. Is it just me or is anyone else feeling it? Virtual hugs sent your way. Uh, and then the thread kind of devolves uh, where it's actually uh, it's actually my fault because uh Natterton says that it's actually Chris's fault and Noah is just reacting to the bad tone that I set for the show. Uh, And then Vigor says that he has to stop listening to the show because uh, I get into my head of the show mode and I cut you off too much. (laughs) So I thought maybe we should address this on air because, you know, at first I thought there was nothing. But now we have 13 people that have jumped in. They seem to be concerned about maybe you and I fighting or when I cut you
1: off. So back in December of last year um we talked about how we could improve the show and one of the things that um Chris has been trying to uh, move towards is more discussion and having more discussion and um that was that was one of the things that that transition from my predecessor Matt over over to to myself was one of the things that I differ with him is that I am okay uh, speaking up and that manifests itself in in, in, a, in a couple of different ways but one of the things that i try to keep a a firm uh, hat on is that chris has spent the last years of 10 years of his life building up a network and so due respect to him it's his show when he wants to say something it's his job to say something and it's my job to support him in a supportive role and so it, back in december we chris and i had a conversation he said listen i'd really like you to speak up a little bit more because i'd really like to have some discussion and that might mean that both of us take a polarizing view and we're going to go back and forth a little bit but uh but I think that would make for better show content, and so starting at the beginning of this year, uh, when something comes up if i don't if I don't agree with them, we just we go back and forth until Chris decides it 's time to move on and The other thing is I have a a handicap. I, I am not a podcaster. I am a. I'm a. I'm a support technician. I'm an. I'm an IT. IT administrator. And I have. I have been fortunate enough to come into this role to share my views on technology with you. But I, I'm not born a broadcaster. And so one of my handicaps is I can't formulate thoughts as well as somebody that's been doing this for ten years. And I also don't have the ability to look at my what I'm saying and decide when it's time for me to cut myself off. And so it is. It. You have to understand that this is a symbiotic relationship where I am going to provide Chris with uh, with a certain amount of resistance so that – he doesn't just run off and, and if I think he's wrong, I'm going to stand up and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put my foot down and we're going to talk about it. We're going to go back and forth. And at the same time, when Chris's 10 years of broadcasting experience tells him, this is enough of talking about this project, this topic, or this is enough of, of Noah talking, we need to move on. Then he's going to put his foot down and we're going to move on. And the, I think the best thing that I, the, the only real way I could think to exemplify this would really be is if we were to take a telegram conversation that Chris and I have throughout the week. And then you could see that because I, i i when you just see us for two hours on Sunday, that gives you a very different view of our relationship and our friendship as it would if you just saw us the rest of the week in fact the I think the last episode that we really kind of blew up was the um was the uh, Cody thing right and I think right after that like we had had we had a, i meant to bring it up and talk to you about it after uh, after we were off the air and then we divulged into a bunch of other conversation. It wasn't until like the next day that I actually got around to being like, oh yeah, by the way, Cody, did I push that too far? <laughs> Like, it, it took a day or so. But
0: yeah, yes. and also, if you're watching live, a lot of times after we end the segment, we'll pick the conversation back up. Like, we did pick that Cody conversation. Yeah back up for a bit. So I think people who watch live get a better sense of that or the patrons that watch the, the full live recording that we release. I think they kind of have a, a different perspective. But I think both of us don't take it personally. We look at it as sort of, we're here to give you both sides of an opinion and we're going to try to articulate them as well as we can. And I think it's in the it's in the hope and the interest of making it more interesting and intellectually stimulating than if we just agreed on everything all the time. Uh, however, I yeah, essentially whenever we're talking about anything like this very topic i have a clock running Mm -hmm. in my head and when the clock runs out it's like okay it's 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 time to move on i don't think we're really progressing let's move Mm -hmm. forward uh and and there's not like it's not afterwards we're not seething at each other and if there's no hard feelings we just move on to the next thing it's because that's what we're here to do we're here to do that and we're here to do it as passionately as as we really feel about it
1: and don't get me wrong there are there are times there have there been there have been things where uh where i i do hit a limit where chris asks me or or chris wants to move in a direction that i'm like so just so you know this is I, I'm not totally happy about that and and that all, that we basically kind of started mm-hmm. to approach that a couple yeah, just a month ago we were talking about how we we're going to change the you know the the broadcasting system the the Yeah, you know if you if
0: you if you want better insight to this listening to the probably the the six episodes or seven episodes of user error I know that's yeah. they're not very long um and they're actually it's all it's all time coded too so you could just jump around if you want where we kind of have talked about we've we've kind of Hold the curtain back and say, well, let's talk about this time where we had this big yeah. issue and how that played out. And I think it gives you a better insight of how
1: it The works. important thing to pull out of there though is if there if there's something that really bothers me, if there's something I'm upset about, believe believe me, people hear about it.
0: I think they've noticed. And I think it's actually I think it's actually been a good thing because uh mm-hmm. even if it's something that sometimes the audience is like, oh whatever. I think Mm -hmm. for us to sort of clearly state where we stand on certain different topics gives the audience a better idea of how we comment on other things in the future. So I think it all serves a purpose.
1: And if we both agreed on everything, one of us would be unnecessary.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So guess what? Send us in your thoughts and your feedback. You can do it at that subreddit or you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Pow! You didn't see that coming. you, You did? Okay. Well, did you know I'm going to mention the live time over at jblive.tv on Sundays at noon Pacific or jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, where it gets converted to your own time? Did you know that? You did? All right. Oh, I bet they don't know where they can find Noah online on Twitter. Where can they find you, Noah?
1: At Kernel Linux, And you can follow the company at AltaSpeed. That's my personal company. Or Jupiter Broadcasting at Jupiter Signal, Or that guy at Chris ChrisLES. That's right below. On our lower thirds, it's not that's, really a lower
0: third. Oh, shoot. So they did know that was coming. Man, I am striking out. It's been, uh,
1: under, it's been under your nose the entire time. Actually, I thought it, right it is. So I just thought level. that was my mustache. Oh, oh. No, that's your Twitter handle, dude.
0: Oh, you're right. You're right. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. That's what happens. I know. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week.
1: Uh, they're not so bad because they've yeah. got open standards so they're secure. Yes. Wait a minute. They're attacking the U.S. on your Internet of Things. Uh, Guess many of my Internet of Things went down? Zero because I don't have any. All right. Now,
0: okay. So I got a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up. I think this is an important oh, conversation. I, uh, I would like to say thank you to the chat room for having us today. And, uh, boy, isn't this an interesting day for America. Friends, what you've just heard here from Noah – is the stance where he was waiting for the facts to meet his case to pounce but listen, the truth of the matter That's is it. it's my 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 time right? Yeah, the truth of the matter is it was all of these unpatched of things devices like the old pieces of crap Noah runs it doesn't install updates on door no I pieces of crap.
1: Used. no pieces of crap. you're a piece of crap. no pieces <laughs> of crap.
0: No pieces of crap. Oh, Chatterham, go get caught up on your user error. I, I would probably... Hey, it, hmm. hey, it's the... Hey, it's... Hey, Noah. Here comes the... Hey, Noah? what? Hey. Sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, try to talk about what failed. Okay, I'll try to do that too. <laughs> hey, Noah? Noah. Hello. Hey, Noah. Hello. Hmm.
1: All right, no, quit screwing around. <laughs> uh, the problem is the pooper does not... Uh, at least the, the, the... So there are two poopers in the studio. Actually, there are three. There are two poopers in the studio that we're going to talk about. The first pooper is a Chris exclusive. That pooper is inside of the studio. And for obvious reasons, nobody is allowed to use it. Because if Chris has to go on air and you have to be in the studio, you don't want to sit in the studio and smell other people's poop. So that that pooper is off limits. So that leaves us with one remaining pooper. There's actually two, but one's are nice. So that leaves us with one remaining pooper in the living room area. The problem with that pooper is it's kind of like... If you've ever had a drippy faucet, that's kind of what happens when you push the flusher. It's just like, and then nothing happens. So basically what you have to do is you have to like, anytime, any sort of... Anything. any deposit is made in the... Actually, in the I've Cooper. tested it. I've actually tested it. it I've uh-huh.
0: actually been able to get it to clog uh, just on an empty bowl just when testing. Really? Yeah. That
1: does not surprise me. Yeah, I
0: think it just fails to flush sometimes. So these ones are real fun. Fl- these are real pleasure to flush. So everyone say good job, Andrews, on getting new shitters in the chat room because uh, I've been struggling with these sons of bitches for like three or four months now. It's just oh. been... The one in the, the, one in the master bedroom has been breaking down. It's been leaking water, costing us a lot in water.
1: The, the the reserve pooper
0: that one the the my private pooper yeah
1: yeah yeah okay <laughs> yeah okay mm-hmm, that one mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. both of them got replaced yeah 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 the one doesn't affect me but the one in the the living room Pat the only one life. that ever
0: worked was the is the one that only Rekai, the Rekai's private toilet that's the yes, only one that ever I've worked never, properly you know I've never even seen his bathroom
1: much less been in it much less used it
0: oh you could you could probably go in there and uh, get a beard shower
1: <laughs>
0: <clears throat> all right well. Yeah, they're not connected no, to the internet, that, no. Do you
1: mean shower in Beard's
0: bathroom, or do you mean get showered in Beard? Well, I would imagine one and the same, my friend.
1: Uh, <laughs> first and likely only <laughs> look. What? I love it. Just, you, just, you have like little isms about, like, like if you don't like something, it's very clear. That is the Linux action show's first and likely only look. <laughs> I just want to let, I give a shout out to the people who are like, oh my god, this
0: is the worst thing ever. I'm like, don't worry, we'll just talk about it maybe once. <laughs>